Welcome to the Peppered Podcast, where food and beverage marketing professionals get seasoned talk on how to grow and manage their brands. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Peppered Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Allabach. My guest on the show today is Tara Ann Dugan. Tara is the Director of Consumer and Marketplace Insights for the National Pork Board. If you listen to this show, you know how much I love pork and get excited talking about it. Tara has more than 12 years of food marketing and research experience. She's worked for McDonald's Corporation, Nielsen, IRI, and she's got a wealth of knowledge to share with us. We're going to not only talk about pork, but we're going to talk about the protein category and also just eating occasions. Uh, We're going to take a deep dive into the wonderful world of pork, meat, and protein. So let's join the conversation in the podcast. Hey, Tara, glad to have you on the Pepper Podcast. Welcome. Hey, Jamie, glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited. So I've got, I've, I've got to have some disclosure here before we get into the, into the, the Q&A, because I've, I've got a little bit of history with pork. I, I grew up on an old, old farm, and it wasn't a working farm at the time, but my dad would once a year, he would, he would raise, raise a hog, and we would enjoy, enjoy that hog uh, all, all year long. And it, boy, there was nothing like the bacon from a fresh hog. <laughs> and, and then I also, when I was younger, I worked for uh, Hatfield Meats, who I'm sure oh. you're very, very familiar with. I worked in the ham room and several other areas, but that was, you know, another big part of my life and being exposed to pork. And later in my career, we worked together. I worked together with Hatfield and Clemens Food Group for, for many, many years on, on pork. So I am not only super familiar with pork, but I'm a huge fan of pork. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want people to think that this is like some kind of a setup. Well, he seems a little over the top about pork. Well, I am over the top about pork, but it's not, <laughs> not for any other reason than I love it. So let's... um. Let's jump into, I've got a lot of questions about uh, not just pork in general, but just the, the dynamic, you know, of, of meat and meals and things like that. I, I think you're going to have some some super cool insight for my listeners here. So let's just jump right into some of the, some of the Q&A. For one, we know, we just know for a fact that how consumers eat is something that's always evolving. It just it, It's just constantly mm-hmm. changing and food brands and food companies and organizations have to evolve with that and change with it. It's not what people eat and how they eat is not the same as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Um, and how they're going to eat in the future in the coming years is going to evolve and change um, as well. So, I mean, the old school concept of meals has also radically changed. Uh, what, what have you seen here, particularly speaking about, you know, dinner time and meal time? What, how, how have you seen it change and kind of where, where are we at in that scenario right now? Sure. So you're absolutely right, Jamie. Consumers are changing everything. The world around us is changing. And the fact of the matter is we're leading incredibly busy lifestyles. So when we think about food and everything else that's going on around us, the fact is all industries have experienced change really at a breakneck breakneck pace throughout the past decade, especially. Um, Some of the reasons, needless to say, really hinge on the digital technology that's available now that's changed the way that Americans are living, shopping, and eating. 
So if we think about it from how we hail a ride, you know, we we now hail an Uber. We're not necessarily hailing a taxi, even to the way that we're watching television. These rapid changes in technology have completely disrupted some industries and made some others obsolete. And we're uh, no different within the food industry. So when we think about dinner, we've done tons and tons of research. And what we've discovered is that at the end of the day, consumers just don't want to think too much about getting dinner on the table. And as a matter of fact, about half of in-home dinners are driven by, I want something easy and quick and simple to make or flavorful, something that everyone will eat, something that obviously doesn't require a lot of thought and fits in my budget. Convenience, boy, that's still that that nagging that nagging piece <laughs> that, that 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 brands always hate to think about the the convenience aspect. People are going to gravitate towards what, what's easy and what's what's less painless. So, mm-hmm. one of the things I read in in your research, which was which was interesting to me, is you list nine dinner occasions in a study that you have. Mm-hmm. This is this is fascinating to me because, you know, when I grew up and, you know, when my kids are all adults now, I mean, uh, dinner time was dinner time. There weren't yeah. different dinner occasions. Dinner time was dinner time. So what, what do you mean by this in your study that there are nine different dinner occasions and what are, what are they? Yeah. And you'd be surprised. It's really interesting because dinner time is indeed dinner time, but the, they're very situational. So if you think about who's at the table, what the circumstances are, where you're coming from, where you're going to, all of these things play into the needs that consumers have at dinner. So National Pork Board actually initiated a large-scale multifaceted research exploration Really for us to understand when people are making decisions at dinner time, what are driving those decisions? And particularly when a protein is on the table and meat is on the table. So we wanted to think about it, not just from the, the realm of when pork is on the table, but when other proteins are there as well. So we sought to understand this both in and away from home, but we really focused in on dinner at home in America early this year and have um, been partnering with a lot of folks in the industry to drive innovation and education in order to meet the needs of today's consumers. So you're right. Within the study, we identified that there are nine different dining occasions. And it's really based on those things that I've talked about. Who's at the table? What are the top needs driving the occasions? So... I like to clarify because I am a consumer researcher, so I want to be clear that they're not people, they're occasions and situations and needs. Mm -hmm. So let's think about the familiar family dinner. I like to call it AKA Taco Tuesday. Um, If we think about it from a scenario and a situation standpoint, you can imagine this is me on a Wednesday night. I have a nine and 10 year old. You know, it's already been a full day. I've worked all day. The kids have been at school. There's after school activities with soccer and all types of other things that we have going on. And by six o'clock, everyone is usually come in the door, um, likely drained or really buzzing to tell, tell everyone about their day, especially my kids. But regardless, everyone's hungry and everyone's ready to get dinner. So for me, as a consumer, um, because I am still a consumer too, um, you can think about this situation that I'm in where I want to get dinner on the table and it's got to be quick and easy because I have a busy life. It's a typical weeknight, but I may not have had a chance to plan, not necessarily using a written recipe, and I need something that can be prepared quickly from ingredients on hand. So these are situations that consumers experience, but the need state of this familiar family dinner would rely on things that are easy, 
Um, they're ingredient-based, not just meat at the center of plate. These are type, the types of findings that we have within the research uh, where we identified that there were some opportunities where these dinners could feature things like pre-seasoned ground pork for that taco night or even spaghetti night or smaller and faster cooking cuts are also an opportunity because they can help people get dinner on the table in less than 30 minutes. So there's a lot more to dinner than just dinner, if I'm hearing you. So let's let's shift into talking about preparing meat. So specifically, mm-hmm. you know, in particular, let's talk about, about pork. So so pork was always, like I said earlier, it was a mainstay in, in, in my household. In fact, a little kind of a funny little side note is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my 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 parents were, were, were from the Depression era, and my dad's brother always wrote wrote journals about growing up, and they only had meat once a week, and it mm-hmm. was Sunday night, and they and and pork was like the special treat if they got that. So, wow, um, yeah, isn't that isn't that wild to think about? You could only have meat once a week, and then pork was the special uh, the treat. Special. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So my kid and my kids, we grew up with it. My kids love pork and all that. So anyway, my my another one of my bunny trails. Sorry about that, but do, <laughs> love it. Do do millennials even cook? Or do they even know how to cook pork or any other fresh meat? I mean, how does that, is this relatable to to the generation that's out there right now consuming mm-hmm. and buying? Not that us boomers aren't aren't still a buying force, because we are, but, but are the millennials cooking and do they know how to cook meat and pork? Sure. So uh, you're not alone. There is definitely a lot of pork that's being purchased and consumed domestically. So when we think about how many households are purchasing and consuming pork, it's pretty astounding. 97% of households actually purchase pork in the last year. And 79% of households have purchased both fresh and processed pork. So I know folks think of pork and, you know, bacon can be a little bit of an anomaly, but it's not just bacon. It's not just bacon. Pork is being purchased and consumed very, very broadly and vastly across the country. Even though bacon makes everything better, right? (laughs) No kidding. It totally does. (laughs) So in spite of that, though, you know, opportunities definitely still exist as we did uncover that there were consumer perceptions around health and preparation, especially amongst millennials. So if we think about um, pork and specifically the way that people are eating them, um, eating pork, when we think about, you know, at a cut level, if you will, for millennials and, and really everyone, sausage and bacon are living in one space. So pork is only owning breakfast. And when we look to affinity, which is love of, we see that there are some really bright spots like pepperoni and charcuteries, which are really on trend. But amongst millennials, there's not as much of an affinity for fresh pork and whole and whole muscle cuts ultimately as their boomer cohort um, is what we've seen. Mm-hmm. So this might be due to a couple of different things. What the research has shown us is that there is a lack of proper cooking knowledge. Uh, USDA has published information around cooking to 145 degrees. So we have been very diligent about working with folks in the industry to continue to beat that drum. Um, there are also perceptions regarding pork's health and nutritional benefits and It's important for us to continue to think about how to elevate what we know about pork's nutrition. 
And then when we think about the way that millennials and even Gen Z is shopping today, the me case really needs to be reexamined if we want pork to be relevant. It hasn't changed in literally decades. But as we've talked about, the way people are living their lives are change, changing. And accordingly, we need to adjust at the grocer. Yeah, I mean, let's let's keep let's keep on this tone of of, of perception and 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 particularly this this idea of, of of health perception. I mean, from what I've seen over the years, when it comes to to just meat in general, there's just so much false information out there about what actually is you know healthy. What are the health benefits of of certain things and, and, and meat, meat in particular. And, and mm-hmm. there, there's so many things that get, that build up, you know, in the media, you know, the media just kind of gets out there with this stuff. And then people say, yeah, wow. Yeah. Meat, meat really must be bad for you. And there's just, there's just so much false information out there. How, how has that kind of impacted your industry? In fact, how has kind of this idea of, um, this new healthier lifestyle impacted the pork industry uh, in general? Sure. So there is certainly a lot of information out there. And like we've talked about, consumers are time starved. So it's very difficult and, and ultimately pretty confusing for people to figure out what's what, what's true, what's not. Um, but what we found is that at the end of the day, besides not wanting to think too much about getting food on the table. People also want to feel good about the food that they're eating. And we've done research, as I mentioned, not only for in-home consumption and purchasing, but also away from home. And even when dining away from home, healthy options remain important for consumers across all day parts. In fact, uh, roughly six in 10 diners uh, say that amongst people who are having a, a healthy eating occasion say that they want a food that's in quotes, reasonably healthy. And roughly four in 10 want a food that fits their diet when, when dining out. So for pork, what it, what it means ultimately is boosting awareness of how healthy and healthful, actually, and flavorful it can be by including more diet-specific meals. And especially since we're talking about dining out, when people are dining out together, seeing healthy options on a menu can help protect against that fetal vote amongst diners who value health over indulgence. We all have had those situations where you have that person in the group who may or may not be willing to go somewhere if they can't find something that's on the menu for them. Mm-hmm. But pork can be amongst those healthy options. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I I mean, I consider myself a, a super healthy person. I mean, I eat, you know, I eat all the right stuff. I, you know, I fuel my body with mm-hmm. things that are that are natural and, and, and from the earth. But but every day, every day for dinner, I have some level protein, you know, whether it's pork or it could be chicken or it could be beef. I mean, I'm having pork at least once a week. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's complemented with, you know, uh, you know, a whole grain or, you know, potatoes and some sort of vegetables. And I look at that, you know, if I'm having, you know, you know, you know, whole meat, you know, protein, you know, pork, whether it's, you know, you know, a tenderloin or, you know, a roast or whatever it is, that's healthy and that's good eating. It's natural, yeah. you know, it's natural eating and it's an important part of, of my diet and to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm fueling my body for, for, for what it, for what it needs. I mean, I feel, you know, if I'm sitting there, you know, just eating, eating vegetables, I don't feel like I'm getting, you know, the level of protein that I'm going to get 
when I when I eat meat. I mean, so I I feel that meat is an important part of of our diets. Now, I know everyone doesn't feel that way, and that's okay. I've got my uh, daughter-in-law of mine is a vegan, and that and that that's all cool. But you know, mm-hmm. for me. I, I do look at the health aspect and I look at it as, you know, a healthy, you know, healthy lifestyle for, you know, for, for myself. Absolutely. And consumers have so many choices today, but animal protein is a great option for a healthy balanced diet. Absolutely. So springboarding off of that into the plant-based, I mean, you can't ignore it. I mean, every, mm-hmm. everywhere you go, you know, it's plant-based this and plant-based that. And what's so funny to me too, is you go to some of these trade shows and you look at some of the newer product coming out, like, you know, they're all, they're all trying to, to simulate meat <laughs> with vegetables. Mm-hmm. And some of it's really, really good, but it's that perception again, that, you know, the plant-based is so much healthier for you. How has this, I mean, has the, has the, has the trend towards plant-based impacted your category, impacted the, the pork or the meat industry in general? Mm-hmm. So we actually recently conducted an exercise where we assess literally millions of social conversations. And what we discovered is that pork remains the most discussed protein. If we think about it from a percentage standpoint, it tends to take up about 30% of social conversations. Um, And though increasing plant-based protein conversations still only represents about 15%. Um, So when we think about it, you know, consumers have options and um, National Pork Board really supports the industry growth and innovation. So providing consumers a variety of options for the best possible eating experience is what we promote. And we also believe that, as I mentioned, meat from farm-raised pigs is a good protein choice given its versatility, accessibility, and nutritional benefits. Yeah, so then that's a great segue into talking about innovation. I mean, innovation is hot. I mean, every... Every company, every brand that we work with has some level of innovation in the pipeline because they know not only do buyers at retail want to see the newest stuff out there, but consumers are more and more predisposed to to look for and try new things. So innovation mm-hmm. is hot in the food category. What, oh, yeah. what What's new and innovative in, in the pork industry or category? Yep. So, you know, from a from a retail standpoint, it's normal, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's normal to look to restaurants and food service to really see what's trending. Because oftentimes what ends up happening is you start out with something at fine dining, it ekes its way into a more mainstream or ubiquitous channel like fast food eventually, and then you start to see it in people's households. So in our recent study all about dining out, what's on trend We uncover that when consumers are making decisions away from home and protein is on the table, it's normally based on three factors, and those are taste, crave, and convenience. So there are some pretty cool ways that this is actually coming to life. Um, The easy go-to right now is pork belly, which, you know, we, we see it at restaurants, we see it Actually, not just in fine dining and other in ty- uh, casual restaurants, but it's also eking into C store as well. I just saw uh, it at Costco just this past yeah. weekend. I'm there. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that? And they, and they were selling full and half size pork bellies. I'm there. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a really cool example of, um, a unique way that pork is being featured that it hadn't been before. Another way um, is we've seen pork wings making a, a, a rise, and those are bone and pork shank. So we recently tested a concept with our partner, Data Essential. Uh, it was a crispy bone and pork wing with dry rub or glaze, um, and it could be featured with traditional flavors like buffalo, honey barbecue, or teriyaki. Sounds re- delicious, right? We actually helped um, Hatfield years and years ago launch a product like this into into food service. They called it their their ribbies product, but that's exactly what it was. It was a it was the smaller part of the shank, and it was trimmed down, and it was pushing up against wings, totally yeah. pushing. And and you know what? It was better. Than wings and it's very flavorful, very tasty, and so many options that you can do as far as you know. You have as many flavor profile options as you do as you do with wings. So yeah, I mean that's a great example of of, of innovation. Yeah. How about snacking? You know, mm-hmm. from where I'm sitting, um, and I and I might just be missing it here. It doesn't seem like pork has has capitalized too much on on this this super moving trend of of snacking um mm-hmm. could be white space there i don't know maybe i'm just not seeing it in the market but have you been seeing pork companies and brands coming out with with pork snacking options you know you make a really great point especially given that the lines have blurred in terms of the number of day parts so you know depending on the source Eating is occurring between seven and nine times a day today. So it's no longer just three square meals a day. Consumers are snacking all day and um, eating in many different ways. So there are some options out there that are high in protein, um, including a meat, normally a sausage or cheese. I'm sure you've seen some of these options out Mm -hmm. there um, in the grocer. And these have become elevated over time, yet there are really still some opportunities, Um, you know, because when we think about it, in spite of the way that people are living is changing, no matter what, they still need to eat. So the reality for the meat industry is that in this age of especially hyper-personalization, which leads into the fact that people are snacking and eating their own way, we've lagged other food sectors who are really better at understanding customer needs and innovating to meet them. So we really have an opportunity to compete um, from a pork standpoint with other proteins and other labels that are next to us in the meat case um, as we think about that customized experience and how consumers now expect to get options like snacking options. Yeah. We know, I mean, we know that the American palate is just like continually changing. I mean, you know, culturally and, you know, how people experience what what they're eating and the tastes and the flavor profiles and things like that. What are, how has this um, impacted, you know, the pork industry? How are you introducing new things that are, that are relevant from a, even, even like you just mentioned, an elevated palate perspective, but even, you know, you know, perhaps from a cultural perspective, how, how are things changing and how are, how are companies competing in this space to, to keep up with all of this innovation around? 
around, you know, flavor profile and taste and mm-hmm. um, international taste and things like that. Yeah, so multicultural flavors are on the rise. Um, it's pretty amazing to see. We actually identified that, um, and this was through a Nielsen report, but one in three Americans consumers note that they consume a multicultural flavor a week. So one in three are saying that they consume a multicultural flavor a week. Wow. That's a, that's a wake-up call. Should be a wake-up call to breakfast. Absolutely. And National Restaurant Association actually uh, published their latest culinary forecast, which featured top 20 trends, and roughly half of them are ethnic-inspired. So multicultural flavors um, are definitely here to stay. Well. Um, how about how about this trend towards, you know, antibiotic-free, you know, um, no growth promotants. You know, people want their meat to be clean and natural. How how have you seen this impacting uh, companies and brands? Sure. So in our Dinner at Home in America report, which I don't think I mentioned it, but we actually surveyed over 10,000 consumers to understand all of these sentiments around um, meat. And when it came to claims, what we saw specifically with antibiotic-free and and other similar claims is that 29% of consumers noted that they were willing to pay more for antibiotic-free or clean label or even hormone-free meat. But additionally, what we found was that 54% of consumers note that their dietary philosophy really centers around fresh, less processed products with fewer harmful ingredients. So when we think about it, in absence of educating consumers on the benefits of meat, they'll focus on the absence of absence of claims. So it's really important that we're educating on things like the fact that there are lean pork options and it is high in protein and there are other healthful benefits of it. Mm-hmm. Have you, have you seen, you know, companies making that shift over the, over the past, you know, say five, you know, five, 10 years or so shifting away from, um, old way of doing things and into this new way? Are there, are there companies that are still kind of holding out? I mean, how, I mean, that's a big transition for, for, for companies to move. Right. And, and, and I think we've seen too, along the way, um, with, with, with major, uh, major brands, um, like, mm-hmm. like, like Chipotle, you know, finding, you know, enough, you know, you know, when the, when the consumer is de- demand is there. Okay. So now they have to be able to find enough product now to, to fulfill that demand. Are you finding that companies are shifting more in that direction? So it really depends on the, on the claim. Um, there are certainly opportunities to elevate certain aspects of food that can help people feel good about the food that they're eating. So to the extent that brands are being transparent, it's going to continue to be important, especially as consumers have so much information available to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that makes sense. And that's, that's another great segue into talking about about transparency from an organizational perspective. I know that this is important to consumers, especially millennials in this newer generation. I mean, they're really looking for that that authenticity. And in my opinion, 
you know, I think that, that when companies become more transparent, when brands become more transparent, it makes them better. You know, they, sure. they, it, 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 I don't want to say it forces them to be better, but it makes them better. When you're striving to, 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 to be transparent to your consumers, it really makes you, it makes you better. I mean, has this been challenging in your industry at all when we talk about the pork industry? You know, I think that it's it's something that is important for um, the meat industry in general, and especially pork. And when we think about pork, you know, what we're laser focused on with our, our We Care initiative is making sure that we're able to be transparent so that we can enable consumer trust and confidence. So we're really looking to continue to improve transparency and communication around responsible production practices, um, especially across all levels from a local, state, national, and international level. Mm -hmm. A lot of, a lot of this, I mean, from a transparency perspective and a lot of the things that we've talked about, like the better for you aspect of, of pork and meat and, and the antibiotic free, a lot of these come back to branding and marketing. Um, talk to me about what the pork board has done or what o- other organizations have done in this space. I mean, I know you guys have done an amazing job over, over the years of, of driving awareness in this. I mean, I, you know, I look back to, you know, the other white meat campaign. I mean, what a, it was a great campaign and it really resonated with people and people remember it. It's like, oh yeah, pork, the other, the other white meat and you're leveraging, leveraging what, you know, what chicken had done. So, I mean, I mean, the pork board has always done a great job at that. And I know that there's some other big companies out there that, that do a great job of driving this awareness and, and, and being out there with it. What, how, how have you guys tackled some of this, this newer stuff, like the transparency, like the antibiotic-free, like the fact that you know pork is really a, a natural part of a, of a better-for-you diet? How have you handled sure. letting consumers know and educating them and driving that awareness piece of it? Yeah. So National Pork Board has really been focused on being a consultant and a trusted partner to the industry. So really focused on providing our meat packers and retailers and food service partners really with the with latest fact-heavy assumption like market insights that can't necessarily be found anywhere else just because of the nature of our business. So from an at-home perspective and how people are making decisions at the grocery store and the like, uh, we've been partnering with retailers and dietitians and packers to educate consumers on pork's benefits. So this could play out in a couple different ways from in-store messaging um, and on-pack labeling. Those are some really key ways that we're able to continue to communicate with consumers um, to address some of the challenges and perceptions as it relates to um, health and transparency. Yeah, and media, you know, media is key in this in this ever-changing world of, of marketing and communications. I mean, it's, you know, being up on the latest media and how to reach and how to relate to consumers, how to relate to, to millennials, where are they consuming most of their media. How have you, what, what's worked for you and what hasn't worked for you? How have you reached, reached consumers with, with your messaging? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, so... 
digital plays a really strong role. Now, while we do a lot of work behind the scenes to understand consumer sentiments and needs and drivers and barriers even, um, we also know that we need to continue to have some form of conversation with consumers, um, but we have to meet consumers with where they are ultimately. So from a grocery and food service standpoint, we know that retail and food service standpoint, excuse me, we know that consumers have relationships with, with the brands that they're purchasing. So we'll continue to provide those insights and a steady drumbeat of insights at that to help inform innovation and uh, decisions ultimately. But the way that we're looking to reach consumers specifically is um, we've honestly been unleashing the power of Google. It's really a new way to to market pork in a sense. So we've moved away from our traditional consumer ad buys and the campaigns like the other white meat. Um, and now we can reach targeted consumers with our message through search and also through YouTube creators. Wow, so that's that's really interesting to me as a marketer. So, so really, you've you've moved away from many of what you would consider the mass tactics into more of the targeted piece, where if people are you know searching for hey something for dinner, you know you're going to be there to serve them up the idea of of try pork, right? You got it. Yeah. How about the messaging piece of this? I mean, I talked to you, we talked a little bit about, you know, I remember the old, you know, the other white meat message, and I know that's an old message, but how how has your messaging evolved over the years to um, to be relevant to, to, to consumers? How has it changed, and what is, what is it now? So we're, we're definitely... Um representing the 60,000 hog farmers of America, but at the same time, we're laser focused on what consumers' needs are. So, for example, we know that when cooked to the proper temperature at 145 degrees, pork consumers are very highly satisfied with taste and flavor of pork. So, our team has executed efforts such as grill and thermometer manufacturer outreach to underscore endpoint cooking temperature, and we've also carried this message into stores through innovation, innovative promotions such as kiosks. Mm-hmm. So someone goes to the grocery store and uh, they're looking for an option for dinner tonight. And maybe they were they were going to a kiosk just to grab a coupon. But in the meantime, what they also get is a new and unique recipe of a way to, to enjoy pork. Right. So you're really hitting them from, from a digital perspective, um, but then also in-store from a point-of-sale perspective, which I think is, like, super important because, you know, we've, we're, we've worked with a lot of companies over the year in that fresh meat case, and that's challenging because there, there are so many types of other products that consumers go to the store with the brand on their mm-hmm. list. They've got a brand that they want for this particular category of food or beverage, but it's not always the case with 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 fresh meat. You know, they, they have a tendency sure. to browse and look over, hmm, what do I wanna you know, what do I wanna, you know, get on the menu for, for this week. So I think point of sale is like like really, really key. So it sounds mm-hmm. like you guys have been been optimizing on that. Absolutely. And it's it's so incredibly important. I mean, you know, there are some nuances and, and needless to say differences in some macro trends like there are smaller household sizes today. So these are things that the industry has to contend with, especially as it relates to the meat case, because those uh, larger packs of meat might not necessarily 
make sense or be relevant to a smaller household size. But when we think about it holistically, our research has shown that 62% of the time that a protein was on the dinner table, it was because it was already on hand in the refrigerator or freezer. Hmm. So it's incredibly important to make it onto that list or even into that consideration set. Right. Is is the meat industry growing, Tara? I mean, is it is it growing? Yes. Uh, so the fresh department in general is a traffic driver. And when we look at IRI data, it shows that in the past 52 weeks, Total store sales are up about $12 billion, and total fresh, fresh perimeter is up about $1.6 billion. Um, and fresh meat buyers are really big spenders, especially fresh pork buyers. They make about 21 trips on average a year, and they spend about $1,600 a year. So when we speak specifically to meat and pork sales, uh, Nielsen shows, and this is for data ending roughly end of May, that Overall, meat department sales are up about 2%, while volume is down slightly. So that's indicative that price is playing a role there. Um, But dollar sales are across proteins are evident. So pork is up, total pork is up about 1.3% in dollars, and volume is up slightly, about 0.2%, really driven by bacon and sausage. And then in fresh pork, loins and shoulders are bright spots. So, so, so bacon and sausage are, are really what you see fueling that, that growth? In total pork, yes. But even within fresh pork, we see things like shoulders are, are um, seeing some growth, especially as they um, are eaten deliciously as a pulled pork. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you see happening in this space in the coming year or two or three years? Yeah. Well, so by focusing on consumer needs, I'm going to continue to beat that drum. Retailers and packers can think about innovation um, in the form of a couple different things. So things like offering smaller packs or ready-to-heat or pre-seasoned or pre-marinated options, all of these things are going to help from a convenience perspective, um, focusing on easy recipes and promoting fast cooking options like the Instant Pot or even cooking while away like the slow cooker to meet the the needs of today's consumers. Um, but then also keeping a finger on the pulse of other emerging technology. So things like smart refrigerators, which over time will certainly change the way that we shop. But in the meantime, doing things like thinking about the way that um, in-store meal kits or convenience options are served up is going to continue to be a trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big, big fan of, of the various flavor profiles, seasonings, marinades. I think when people see that, it's just not only is it enticing for them to want to try, but then you layer on that convenience, that convenience mm-hmm. piece of it as well. Um, yeah. So I've got, a, I've got a question out of left field uh, okay. for you. Um, because it's something that, that, that I've been hearing a lot about in, in the industry, and there's, there's all kinds of talk about it. Um, what are your thoughts on, on lab-grown meat? Sure. So, you know, similarly to plant-based proteins, we support industry. We, National Pork Board, support industry growth and innovation. Uh, when we look at what the trends are, while things like cell-cultured meats are gaining interest, the growth of the market is actually 
um, minor compared to animal protein growth. And holistically, world meat production is expected to double by 2050. And Americans are expected to eat a record amount of red meat and poultry raised from farm animals in 2018. So even though American consumers indicate that they're willing to try cell-based meat, um, our anticipation is that few believe that it will replace actual farm-raised meat in their diet. And some of their primary concerns tend to include price and taste. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I'm a skeptic. I got to tell you, but we'll we'll see where we'll see where it goes. There's a lot of hype behind it, but I just think <laughs> I'm not sure my generation is gonna is gonna be in it. Maybe the millennials will be a little little closer to the edge on that one, but I'm not I'm not sure. Um, Tara, it's been an awesome, awesome conversation. I really enjoyed chatting you with with about this. Before before we wrap up the show, before we um, end things, I mean, I'd love for you just to um, tell my listening audience a little bit more about you know what what does the National Pork Pork Board do? What are the benefits of being part of the organization? How can you help companies? How can you help brands? Um, what is it you do, and how can how can companies get involved with you? Sure. So the National Pork Board is a federal organization that exists to support and advocate for the U.S. pork industry. And our goal is really to elevate U.S. pork as the global protein of choice by continuously and collaboratively working to do what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. So from the past 30 years, we've invested in our marketing strategy around consumer advertising But with consolidation of the pork supply chain and the fact that we really need to be focusing on consumer needs, today, the National Pork Board works to be that trusted partner that food companies can depend on for data-driven thought leadership with understanding of the values behind the decisions consumers are making and how it's shaping the future of food. Hmm. I love the people, pigs, and planet. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It's very (laughs) memorable, too. (laughs) So. Hey, Tara, it's been a been a great, great show. Good stuff. Uh, very insightful. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Sure, Jamie. It was certainly a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning into the show today. I mean, I really appreciate you guys taking time and listening. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. would love to have you subscribe to the show. Uh, you can find the Pepper Podcast on iTunes or, or whatever platform you're on. Give us that five-star rating, and I would really, really appreciate it. would love to hear from you. I can be reached at Jamie, that's J-A-M-I-E, at Allabach.com. That's A-L-L-E-B-A-C-H. So this is Jamie Allabach. You've been listening to the Pepper Podcast, and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Jamie Allabach on the Peppered Podcast, where we bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. Let's grow your brand together.